Today's scripture reading will be from James chapter 5, 19 and 20. It's James 5, 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from his error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful to have visitors with us from week to week. And if you are in the process of looking for a church home, we do invite you to consider the work here. I know that the elders here would be more than happy to talk to you about the many opportunities for service in this congregation, and we could use your help, and we would certainly love to have you take a look at what we're doing here at Olive Branch. We're going to be looking today at James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. We want to think about the theme, winning the wanderer back. All of us have probably known individuals in days gone by that at one time were faithful, productive members of the body of Christ. But for some reason or another, they began to drift. And sadly today, they're no longer faithful. Have you ever wondered why people leave the Lord? I think about what Jesus asked as recorded by John in John chapter 6. He had declared himself to be the bread of life. And the Bible says that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the twelve, will you also go away? What a sad picture to think about Jesus viewing individuals literally walking away from him. Well, how can we as members of the body of Christ win back those who have wandered from the fold of God? Let's look at what James says in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. The first thing that I want you to think about with me has to do with one's defection from the truth. As we think about those who would defect from the truth, there are any number of reasons why people leave the Lord. And I'm going to just list for you at least five reasons why people leave the Lord. Now in verse 19, James said, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders or errs from the truth, that word err simply means to wander away. And that's what we're talking about, somebody who would wander away from the fold of God. Well, why do people leave the Lord? Why do they wander? Why do they go back out into the world? Let me begin by offering unto you the first reason why I believe people leave the Lord. It's summed up in the word difficulties. Now back in James chapter 1 at verse 2, James has said, Count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. And the idea is that you and I, as members of the human family, 
we experience various trials in life. Sometimes those trials can be debilitating to say the least. Now, in James chapter 1 verse 2, he's talking about those outward trials that are common to all of us. Things like illness or disease, financial setbacks. He's talking about the death of a loved one. These are things that could be summed up in the word difficulties. Now, it's not easy living on planet Earth because life, as you know, is filled with adversities. James said that, or rather Job said in Job 14 at verse 1, that man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Life is often filled with troubles or trials or tribulations. Well, there are any number of individuals that have literally given up on the Lord because of the difficulties that they faced in this life. But then there is a second reason why some people leave the Lord. And it's because of discouragement. Now, it's true that difficulties can lead to discouragement. But you can go back and you can read in the Old Testament of some of God's great servants that experienced discouraging times. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first would be Moses. Now, typically we think about Moses as being the great lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel. And we tend to see him as somebody who was very successful in his endeavors in life. But you just imagine trying to lead thousands upon thousands of people out of Egyptian bondage and towards the land of Canaan. We think about some of the, the difficulties that he encountered along the road. Well, in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, the Bible speaks of the occasion whereby ancient Israel cried out to Moses for meat to eat. And if you look at verse 14 of chapter 11, you'll see Moses in a very plain and forthright way talk about the burdens of these people. He said he wasn't able to bear all of these burdens alone. Now, I said just a moment ago, Moses was a great man. And yet, laid upon his back were tremendous responsibilities. Inherent in those responsibilities were some burdens to be borne. And he speaks of the burdens that he was called upon to bear and the fact that he was discouraged. And so he cried out to God. Another example would be a man by the name of Elijah. You can read of Elijah's exploits in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll read of him with his great showdown, the prophets of Baal. In chapter 19, Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, sent word unto the prophet Elijah that she was going to basically have him executed. And so he was on the run. He fled for his life. And the Bible tells us in about verse 4 that Elijah prayed to God that he might die. Now, if you want to talk about somebody who was discouraged, Elijah was the man. Let me give you a third example. What about Job? We think about all that Job experienced. He lost ten children. 
He lost a great deal of his wealth. His own health failed him, failed him because the Bible says he was afflicted with great boils. And so in chapter 3, we find Job begins talking about the adversities that he's faced with. And he curses the day that he was ever born. Have you ever heard somebody talk about how life has become so burdensome and they're so down and out in life, they say, I wish I'd never been born. You ever felt like that? Well, that's, that's how Job felt in the long ago. Now, one of the greatest tools of the devil is discouragement. If the devil can discourage you, whether it be from the difficulties of life or whatever, if he can get you to the point of despondency, despair, and discouragement, chances are you'll give up. You'll say, what's the use? There have been any number of people within the body of Christ that have literally given up because they've been discouraged. A third reason why some people defect from the Lord is because of disobedience. In other words, they make a conscious decision to leave the Lord. Now, I do not believe that people just overnight wake up and say, you know what, I've had enough of Christianity. But rather, I think it's something that happens over a period of time. People begin to drift. The Hebrew writer talks about the danger of drifting. We sang a song just a moment ago about the anchor. And the question was asked during our singing, will your anchor hold? Well, unfortunately, sometimes people begin to drift in their spiritual lives. They quit reading the Bible. They quit praying to God on a regular basis. They cease coming to worship services on a regular basis. They're more sporadic. They don't come to Bible study. They don't spend time feeding on the Word of God regularly. And so they begin to drift. And then as a result of drifting... They become disobedient to the will of God. Now in James chapter 1, James talks about how temptation ultimately leads to sin. And what you and I need to understand is that the devil will bait us. And what his goal is to see us take the bait and to just... Leave the Lord. Go off into a life of disobedience. James said, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. And lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin, and sin brings forth ultimately death. And so James said, do not be deceived or err, my beloved brethren. But think about people that have allowed the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches, the things of life to encroach upon their spiritual lives. And the next thing you know, they're living a life of disobedience. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at verse 10, we read about the life of a man by the name of Demas. And the Bible says that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now you can read passages like the book of Philemon or Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. 
And you'll see that at one time, Demas had been a faithful co-laborer of the Apostle Paul. What happened? He allowed the world to encroach upon his spiritual life, and the next thing you know, he's living a life of disobedience. And so disobedience can lead us away from the Lord. And then there's a fourth reason why some people leave the Lord. And it's summed up in the word disillusionment. Have you ever known somebody who becomes disillusioned in life? There are people within the body of Christ who will sometimes get disillusioned in their spiritual lives. Let me just give you an example. Let's say that somebody has a bad encounter with with another member of the church. Or let's say that some type of adverse situation occurs between one or more people within the body of Christ. And the person who has been offended or hurt in that particular situation or setting begins to look at the church with blurred vision. In other words, their perception of the church becomes skewed. And they get to thinking, you know, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, all those people who comprise a church, who talk about trying to live right and do right and act right, they talk a good talk, but when it's all said and done, they don't practice what they preach. Well, Jesus talked about people like that in Matthew chapter 23, verse 3. He chided the scribes and the Pharisees because he said, they say and do not. It's easy for us to become disillusioned. Listen, the standard is not another church member. The standard by which you and I gauge Christianity is not another member of the church. It's Christ. The standard ultimately is the Word and the Lord. If you'll look to the Word of God, one of the things you'll find out is people are not perfect. If you put your trust in people and you let them disrupt your spiritual life to the point where you leave the Lord, what you fail to understand is people are imperfect beings. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to say things. They're going to do things that are not right. And you can't allow them to destroy your spiritual life. Far too many people have allowed the conduct of other people to disrupt their service in the kingdom of God. Just imagine somebody out here who's been a faithful member of the church, and they've been serving the Lord, they've been worshiping the Lord, they've been doing everything they can to live right, and then something happens. They have a falling out with a brother or sister or with a group of people. And the next thing you know, well, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And these people, they don't know what they're doing. Listen, you've got the wrong standard. What you need to do is refocus. You need to understand that the Lord is the standard. His word is the standard. And then there's a fifth reason why people defect from the truth. It's summed up in the word discontentment. Sometimes we become discontent in our spiritual lives. One of the things that psychologists talk about from time to time is midlife crises. As we grow older in life, 
One of the things that we begin to grapple with is our sense of purpose. What are we here for? What are we doing here on planet Earth? What's life all about? There are times when members of the body of Christ will experience unsettling times in life. Maybe, maybe they're going through a midlife crisis and they're questioning their purpose in life. They're questioning, what am I doing here? Where am I headed in life? And so they grow discontent with life and their service in the kingdom of God. They begin to think, you know, the pasture is, is greener on the other side of the fence. There's got to be something better than just this humdrum set of daily rigors in life. And so they're always exploring for something new and exciting. They're just discontent. And what happens is they take their eyes off of the cross, off of Christ, and then problems begin. Paul said in the long ago, he had learned in whatever state he was in, therein to be content. Contentment is a state of mind. It is a learned response to life. It's not something that just happens. We have to learn to be content. And if you're not careful, the devil will deceive you into thinking that what you need to do is look for the bright lights of the city. Think about the prodigal son in Luke 15. Do you think that the prodigal son had any kind of illusions of, of the difficulties that would eventually come his way in life? I don't think he did. I think the prodigal son was discontent at home. He thought the bright lights of the city would be a lot funner than just staying at home with his family members. And so he took that journey into a far country. The Bible says he wasted his substance on riotous living with profligate living. And what happened was he found out that life wasn't so grand on the other side of the fence. There are a lot of people like that. I talked to a gentleman yesterday that had some months ago talked to me about his marital relationship that had ended in divorce. His wife became unfaithful. She became discontent in the home. She didn't realize how good she had it. And he said, you know, some, some months back you told me that at some point in time she will regret what she has done. And he said, well, guess what? That's exactly what's happened. You see, discontentment can rob you of your service to the Lord. But now, in the second place, we think about not just defection from the, from the truth, but deliverance through the truth. Look now at what James said. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, what is our responsibility as a child of God? My responsibility as a child of God, and of course there are numerous responsibilities that rest on the shoulders of every person who is a Christian. But one of the things that I'm called upon to do is have genuine concern for the lost. That would encompass not just the apostate, but also the alien sinner. Now in this context, James is talking about somebody who apostatizes from the truth. In other words, they leave the Lord. 
They had at one time embraced the cause of Christ. They had been living for the Lord. They were members of the church, but now they've wandered away. What is my responsibility? My responsibility as a faithful child of God is to try to retrieve that person, to show some genuine concern for their spiritual well-being. And so James said that if somebody wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, that implies there is concern for the, for the erring, for those who defect from the truth. Read sometime Luke 15. We referenced just a moment ago the prodigal son. But in Luke 15, Jesus talks about the value of the human soul. He begins by talking about the lost sheep and then the lost coin and then the lost son. Each and everything that Jesus discussed there emphasized one great truth, and that is he's concerned about the lost. He's concerned about somebody who would find themselves out in that far country of sin. Well, what about us? The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is genuinely interested in those who wander from the truth, and we should be as well. But then we talk about our responsibility, but what about this restoration process? What's involved in that? Well, first of all, there has to be a conversion process. There has to be the conversion of the lost. Look again at what James said. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, the old King James Version says, and one converts him. One of the things that's necessary is for us to sit down with those who wander from the truth and reteach them, convert them, lead them back home. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about the servant of the Lord. And he said the servant of the Lord must be apt to teach. He is to be a patient individual. He's to be a humble person. And then he is to correct those who are in opposition. As Paul said, if perhaps God will grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Think for a moment about somebody who's left the Lord. They're not reading their Bible. They're not praying. They're not coming to worship. They're not coming to Bible study. They're just not interested in spiritual things. What do you have to do? What do I have to do? We have to somehow reignite that flame. We have to try to revive that spiritual life. They need, if you please, spiritual CPR. They have to be resuscitated, brought back to life. How do we do that? Through teaching, through converting them, bringing them back. Now, here's the beauty of it. James said that if, that if we're able to convert one back to the Lord, he said, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There is not just the conversion of the lost, but the cleansing of the lost. I think about people that have left the law. They've gone back out into the world. And then they come to their spiritual senses. What do they need to do? Well, first of all, they have to repent. They've got to give up that old way of life. They've got to renounce a life of spiritual darkness and come home to the Lord. Now in James 5 verse 16, James said, 
Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray one for another. We have the opportunity to pray on behalf of those who have fallen. We can pray with them and for them, and the promise is God will abundantly pardon. I remember many years ago being in a worship service. As a matter of fact, it's probably been, well, it's been over 25 years ago. And I recall the preacher stopping the invitation song getting up before the assembly and making this statement. He said, we have a man that's come before this assembly today that hasn't been in church in five years. Did you know that that man today is a gospel preacher? He's been preaching for almost 30 years. People can come home. People can not only come home, people do come home. There is power in the gospel to change the lives of people. And James said that when people come home, their sins are, are cleansed. He uses this figure. A multitude of sins are covered. That soul has been reclaimed. That soul has been spared from spiritual death. And so we talk about winning the wanderer back. Can we do that? Absolutely. Should we do that? Yes, we can. It's a very beautiful picture of seeing somebody who is straying. Here's a straying sheep out here, and we go out and we bring them back home to the Lord. Read the joy that accompanies the reclaiming of the lost in Luke 15. When Jesus narrated the story, of the prodigal son. He talked about the joy of the father upon seeing his son come home. He said, this my son was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. And the Bible says they began to be merry. There is joy in the presence of God when people come home. What about you today? Let me just ask in a very honest and candid way, are you living faithfully for the Lord? Or have you wandered far from His fold? If you've wandered away, here's the beauty of it all. You can come home today. We would be happy to pray with you and for you with the assurance that God will abundantly pardon. John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here today, you're not... You're not a child of God. What would you need to do? Well, the Bible says, first of all, you have to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. The Bible also says you have to be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then you need to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10. The Bible then says you need to be baptized or immersed in water to wash away your sins. Acts 22, verse 16. Could we assist you with that today as we stand and sing?